As we come now to the hearing and the preaching of the Word of God, if you'd like to read along with me in your Bible, uh, please turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 18. This is John chapter 18. Ah, And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, your word is powerful and your word is true. Lord, would you sanctify us now in your truth? As we listen to these things, teach us to hear and to believe and to find rest in you. We ask you to guide us now by your spirit. Open our minds and hearts now to see and to believe. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take this morning these first uh, 12 verses of this chapter. So this is John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words... He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. This is the word of God. Now, these past several weeks, we've spent some time with a few select questions that Jesus asks in the Gospel of John. So we haven't read this entire Gospel. That would have taken me, I suppose, three or four years. Uh, We're just kind of skipping over, kind of hopping through this. But in these uh, past few weeks, in that time, we have heard Jesus, with his questions, give some very challenging moments that would shape people. He pushes into their desires, into their directions. 
He challenges their beliefs and understanding. Jesus is really digging into the heart of who we are. In this account, we hear Jesus ask two questions. I mean, I guess technically it's just one question that he asks two times. And the question that he asks here actually says more about him than it does about us. You can see the question in verses 4 and 7 as he repeats it. The question is, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? So our focus today is What are we to learn from this question? We know Jesus and the scriptures as a whole care a lot about the things that we seek. I mean, just in the Sermon on the Mount, which we see in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says quite a lot about seeking itself. We hear him say things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We hear him say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We hear him say, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasures... The sorts of things that we seek after shape who we are. And so it's good, fitting for us to think about the sorts of things that we seek. There's lots of things in the Bible to guard us, to guide us in those directions, to steer clear from the sin that is within us, and to pursue holiness in these sorts of things. But, but, that is not necessarily what this text is about. This text is not about what we are seeking. And we need to be careful as we're reading the scriptures not to stretch a text to make it say something that it doesn't quite say or to apply it to ourselves to figure out what we are seeking. If we listen carefully in this text, uh, not just in the questions themselves, but there are particular motives here given in Christ's question that will be helpful to us. But before we can get to those motives in his questions, first we need to understand what he's actually saying here. When Jesus asks these questions, when he says, whom do you seek? Here, at least, Jesus is not asking them generally, broadly, He's not talking about, you know, a, a, a grand framework for our lives or who, who are the types of people you are following, you know. Uh, that's good to think about elsewhere. The scripture addresses that in other places, but not here. Here we're looking at a very particular question. And Jesus is not asking the question to us as readers. We're not in this story. He's also not asking the question to his own followers, to the disciples who are there with him in this moment. Who is Jesus talking to here? If we look, his question, whom do you seek, is given to his enemies. 
at least to the ones who have come against him to arrest him. And this group is not just a few people, a couple of folks on the side. There's, there's quite a large crew that has come now against him to arrest him and to eventually take him to the cross. Uh, we see the whole, whole list of them in verse, where is it? Verse 3. So we see Judas is part of this. He's one of the, the band of the 12 apostles, but he's now uh, foretold as the betrayer, and here he is guiding the rest of this crew to the particular location. So with Jesus, Judas, we also see a band of soldiers. These are, are Roman military members, and there would have been a lot of extra soldiers here because this is around Passover the high holiday of Jerusalem where Jews kind of descend upon the city in mass. So the Romans would have brought in all these extra people and the Roman military members are now, their main interest is to, to make sure that all trouble is just taken care of. Then with that, this band, so we've got Judas, the, the band of shoulders, and then we've also got the, the chief priests and the Pharisees. These are the, the religious leaders who are the true enemies of Jesus here. They're the ones who have come to Jesus wanting him dead and gone. So there's this whole crowd, really, that's coming to Jesus here in the middle of the night, specifically looking for this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And for some reason in this scene, there seems to be a need for Jesus to be identified. We need to see exactly who, who he is. He needs to be identified first. Maybe it's just because it was dark. I mean, this happens in the middle of the night. Passover is a full, full moon, which is good, but they also bring you know, lanterns and torches, so it still would have been pretty dim and tough to see in some ways. It could be just because there's so many people the Mount of Olives was not this, you know, huge Mount Everest thing. It was a little hill. And even there's just a little garden here that they're in. So there's a whole bunch of people kind of squished in, in a small space. So it might have been hard to see uh, who exactly was there. And maybe part of the need to identify him is just because many of the people here are Roman soldiers. They may not have even known who Jesus is. Perhaps they've heard of him, but they've never actually seen him with their own eyes. Whatever the reason for this, Jesus makes clear to them all that he's there. He calls out himself. He identifies himself by initiating with this question, who do you seek? Now, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus confirm his own presence in the group by asking the question, whom do you seek? The answer to that question is in verse 8. We hear his motive here. Let me read it. Verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. If you seek me, let these men go. Jesus wants to make sure that this whole band of captors that have come in the middle of the night only deal with him. It's as if Jesus is physically even stepping between the soldiers and his own disciples. 
Jesus is calling the spotlight onto himself, saying, I'm the one that you really want. So take me, not them. Leave them alone. So to summarize Jesus' purpose in his question here, this is to protect his disciples, to guard his own And in order to do this, in order to protect the disciples, Jesus here does not negotiate. He's not striking a deal, nor do we see him, you know, pleading, begging, groveling. He's not, you know, begging for their mercy. Even though the ones who have come against him come with quite a bit of power, you know, they have power in numbers. There's a lot of them. They have power in weapons. We don't know what weapons they brought, but we assume all the soldiers had their weapons. And they even have power of governing authority. They've come with a particular, you know, a warrant to bring it, so to speak. We still get the sense, even in the midst of all their power, we still get the strong sense that Jesus is the one in control here. And we can see his control in several ways. Even, even though Jesus is the one being arrested, Jesus is also the one asking all the questions. So he's not like in you know, those TV scenes in the, in the cop shows where he's sitting under the interrogation lamp just sweating. He's the one questioning them. We also see in verse 4 a few things about Jesus. Jesus knowing all things that would happen to him, the scripture says, knowing all things that would happen to him, came forward and spoke to them. So not only does Jesus know all of this is going to happen beforehand, he also steps forward into it. Jesus initiates this confrontation. So he's not hiding off in a corner. He's not caught, backed into a space, and now there's nowhere else to go. He's stepping into it. And, and even in the biggest power move here, when the captors say who it is that they're seeking, when they say, we're looking for Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus responds with two little words, which are, I am. I am, he says. The English translation, the one that I have at least, says, I am he which makes sense, but the Greek just says, I am. And from that, it seems clear that Jesus is referencing the Lord's appearance to Moses in the burning bush way back in Exodus. If you remember, for us, that was a few months ago. Jesus says to the Lord in the burning bush, you've sent me to these people. Who shall I tell them has sent me? What is his name? And the Lord says to Moses, tell them, I am has sent you. That is my name. Tell them, I am has sent you. So now Jesus here seems to be self-identifying with the Lord God. It's not the first time he's done it either. Uh, earlier in his ministry, 
Back in chapter 8 of John, if you're curious, I'll read just a couple of verses. There was a conflict with the religious leaders, nothing new. This has been happening uh, for some months now for him. Uh, but John chapter 8, verse, where should I pick up? Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50, 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So now, here again in the garden, in the last hours before his death, we hear this from Jesus again. I am. And when the people hear this, their response is different than to throw rocks at him like they had done earlier. Their response here is that all of them, all of them with all of their lanterns and all their torches and all of their weapons, all of them reel back and fall to the ground. This doesn't mean that they're, you know, honoring Jesus or worshiping Jesus. You know, the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees still despise Jesus. They hated him to the point of death even, and yet they, even they hit the dirt too. What happens here seems to be an involuntary response. It's as if when they hear Jesus say, I am, it physically knocks the wind out of them. And they're just dropped by a word from Christ. Jesus is the ruler of this situation. So no one has to ask Jesus to take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. He is already holding it. He is driving this whole thing. Now, given that, I suppose Jesus in this scene here in the garden in the middle of the night could have, I suppose he could have just walked away. I mean, he spoke and they hit the ground. If you can mow down a whole battalion of Roman soldiers and all the people with them, I'm not sure how effective a pair of handcuffs are going to be. So he could have just left. But, he says, this is the cup that the Father has given to me. And so Jesus stays. And he continues the scene. He asks them the question then a second time. A, a sort of do-over, I guess we could say. Who do you seek? Again, they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Jesus says, I am and then he adds, now, if you seek me, if you're here for me, then let these guys go. Just take me. So John is the one who is recording this. John is one of, of the 12 who would have been there at this moment. But he adds then, as the author of this account, a little explanation about this whole scene. Jesus has just said, let these men go. And then we hear John say in verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Did you hear that? So Jesus has done this, this interaction, take me, not them. Jesus has done this as some sort of fulfillment of a former word. 
This word of fulfillment is not something that some you know, ancient prophet has said. The word that's being fulfilled here is, is words that were spoken just minutes, hours before that Jesus himself had prayed that same night. These are words from, from the previous chapter in John chapter 17, which, by the way, if you're struggling ever about anything, John chapter 17 is a good place to go. It's worth meditating on. But there's a particular section in here that Jesus is referencing. Notice as I read it how Jesus relates to his people. John chapter 17, where is it? Verse uh, 12. This is Jesus praying now to the Father. Verse 12. While I was with them, Jesus says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So did you catch what Jesus is doing here? In his prayer, Jesus says, there are these people that you have given me, and I have kept them. I have guarded them. Not a single one of them has been lost. And now, as Jesus is preparing to leave the world in his death, he's praying that the Father will continue to keep them, that the Father will be their guard in their time on earth. This is true for all, every one of Jesus' disciples, that they are kept by God. But we get to see what that looks like for one individual in particular, which is, in this scene, Peter. We get to see a spicy little event with Peter toward the end of it. And one of you has, has asked me recently an intriguing question about this text, which is, why didn't Peter get arrested here too? I mean, there's certainly some, some, some good reason why Peter could also be taken. Uh, Peter, it seems here, as best we can tell, has some good intentions. He wants good things, but he, as he often does, carries it out with some very unwise actions. And so Peter ends up, you know, hacking off the high priest's servant's ear. And there's a part of this that makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, we could understand if Peter has taken his sword and, and, and jabbing at one of the Roman soldiers. Yeah, I, I, we, we might even understand if, if he took a hack at, at one of the chief priests or the religious leaders, you know, there's some vengeance in there, and, or, or maybe at Judas. Boy, what a betrayal. And so I could totally see Peter, you know, giving a jab at Judas, but, but why would he go for the high priest's servant and, and the ear? No less. That seems like an odd target. Um, all of this seems to suggest that Peter is not really going for anyone in particular. 
He doesn't seem to be aiming at anyone. He's just swinging his blade wildly at this pack of accusers in the middle of the dark to just hit whoever he can, whoever happens to be close. And in the midst of that, slices off a servant's ear. Now in Luke's account of this, Luke gives us the little detail that Jesus heals the man's ear somehow. John doesn't mention that detail, but even with the man's ear healed, no one there's going to forget what Peter has just done. I mean, the religious leaders are already set on killing Jesus. They're not thrilled about having his followers be around anyway. And, and for these Roman soldiers, you would think that they would also be at least a little bit miffed at the fact that someone just made a wild lunge attack at them. I mean, it's, if it's their job to keep the peace during this high holiday of Passover, wouldn't you want to arrest some crazy ear-chopping, you know, wild sword-slinging guy? I mean, he's likely to make a ruckus. They've arrested people for far less offenses. It only, it, it makes sense for them to take Jesus, but also, you know, haul in Peter too. But they don't. They leave Peter alone. They let Peter go. And even though the text doesn't give us any explicit reason why, I think it's safe to say that this is the will of Christ at work. And Jesus has just said, if you seek me, let these men go. Of those who are given to me, I have not lost one. Now to be clear, that doesn't mean that Peter or any follower of Jesus is immune to all harm. We'll see later in the scripture, uh, you know, that to be kept by Jesus doesn't mean you get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Peter's arrested and acts multiple times, jailed, beaten even. And at the end of John, we hear from Jesus that Peter will eventually die in a way that glorifies God with his hands outstretched by which most scholars think that Peter himself was also crucified, just as Christ was. But even in death, it is still true that Christ kept Peter. Peter is not kept from harm, but he is kept from evil. He's not kept from harm, but he is kept from evil. So even though Peter dies, he will not perish. And in that sense, Peter is perfectly safe. Because Christ never loses one, not ever. Jesus mentions a bit more about this. This is the last place I'll go here, and then we'll wind this down. Earlier in his ministry, he talks about this keeping this way back in John chapter 10, uh, verse 27. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus keeps his people. Now, what does this mean for you? I know that many people would prefer that I give some very practical application of the text, some very tangible thing that you can go home and do, and there are indeed parts of Scripture that tend in that direction, but I don't think we should do that here. When Jesus is arrested and taken away, he's not giving assignments of application to his disciples. Here's how you go home, guys, and live this out. In fact, the closest thing we get here to an application is something that they are not supposed to do. Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Don't do what you are doing. It is intentional, then, that this is all out of your hands. You don't even get one finger on it. So don't even try. It is better this way that this keeping is all, all in Jesus' hands. So what we have here, instead of an application to live out, is just a truth to believe and to hold on to. A truth that is a source of hope and confidence as we deepen our belief in this. And the truth is simply that all of those whom the Father has given to Christ, all of them, Christ keeps. All of them, Christ guards. All of them, Christ protects. So you can never be lost. Would you pray with me? Our Lord Jesus, we see your profound care for us here. Help us to believe it. We know that you keep us as your own sheep and that nothing, no one can snatch us from your hand. Help us to deepen our trust in you, our hope in you, and our delight in you as we continue in this truth. And we give you praise, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.